welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to Anne Hughes about making culture change, mining into her 23 years of fundraising experience and experience as a consultant for charities. We ask Anne, is the current crisis a good time for organisations to look at their culture and seek out ways of bringing all staff together through lived values? And what can this do to help the organisation succeed and achieve for their beneficiaries? We recorded this conversation via Zoom a few days ago. Uh, This is June, so we're in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. So it seemed apt to talk about the uh, challenges of the coronavirus and what charities can do to try and set themselves up for when fundraising is relatively back to normal, if that indeed happens, and take on the challenges ahead. So without further ado, here is Anne Hughes speaking with me about making culture change. Delighted to be joined by Anne Hughes, consultant for the charity sector, working on fundraising, training and culture change. Hello, Anne. Welcome. Hi, Sam. Hi there. Thank you for inviting me on. Thanks for joining us. So you're, um, we were speaking about this earlier, you're based in Glasgow. You're in Glasgow today. Yes, yes. Yep, yep. You've got the sun shining through the window. Uh, I think probably only briefly, but yes, I do just now. (laughs) (laughs) How are you coping with the uh, the the coronavirus crisis at the moment. We're recording this in early June and it's still uh, still going, isn't it? Yeah, so it's still going. I'm actually, as a consultant, when, um, and I've been a fundraiser for 23 years and been a consultant for about two and a half now, and um, when it first kicked off, I did have real concerns about what that would mean for uh, the sector um, and what it would mean for me as a consultant you know would there be money for consultants ultimately Um, but what I have actually found is that I have got a lot of work Um, a couple of projects that I was working on were reduced a bit but continued and I actually got a new project too which is an organisation that isn't even based anywhere near me but now work is remote for everyone and so for them they wanted my experience And whether I lived in Glasgow or London, I was going to be sitting in my own house on my laptop anyway. And therefore, I'm now working with a team and a London-based organisation, which is a wee bit odd, to be honest, and not what I expected to be doing. Um, But I think generally, the way I live life is to just roll with the punches. So I'm just showing up for what shows up and moving forward with that. And so you're, you're used to working remotely then as part of your kind of consultancy, are you? Yeah, yeah, I always have. A way back to the start of my career, I actually worked from home for about 11 years at one point. So working from home, working remotely and having a very blended approach to work um, is, is what I have always done. So working from home was absolutely OK for me. I'm set up to work from home and um, I'm OK with my own company. Obviously, I do have a family and just now they're always home and at first I thought, how is that going to work? But it's actually been fine. There's a lot of um, post-it notes put on doors when I'm on video calls or I'm doing things like this <laughs> that you cannot come in just now. Unfortunately, my kids are quite respecting that. So it's actually, I'm not, I actually 
I, I am not finding lockdown too stressful from a work point of view. And I know that I perhaps stand in a minority and that I'm not concerned about, about work just now and that work's going okay for me. Um, but I am in a good place. And I think, if anything, even speaking to other fundraisers and other consultants, they are seeing that there's opportunities to be found in this time. And I think that's quite exciting. Do, I mean, the, the work that you're doing, your expertise, uh, part of that is in, in culture change. And, and are you, I mean, obviously, all of our, our short term culture is changing, isn't it? With coronavirus, yeah. so many people working from home. Um, what, what types of things are you noticing um, organisations adopting in terms of practices that might be short term now, but might be longer term after the, the crisis? Yeah, so across, um, actually, all sectors I do um, I do speaking and, and motivational speaking and things as well and I have been delivering presentations to teams that are all of a sudden working from home that have never worked from home and so I go on to zoom calls and I have 70 people on there and, and I'm presenting to them which is odd because ultimately it feels like me sitting talking to myself for like half an hour 40 minutes to do a presentation with no reaction which um, has taken a wee bit of getting used to but I think what's interesting is that people are seeing there is other opportunities actually if I worked in hospitality industry I would be worried that or if I, if I owned businesses that that rented out office space I would actually be worried that people are finding a new way to do working and they're finding a new way to do meetings because um, people are being really receptive to that and I think the freedom is that you can get a hold of more people because everyone's at home on their laptop or on their computer and so actually people are more accessible and even from a fundraising point of view you can actually get to, to partners quicker because they're not at meetings all the time mm. you know they are actually sitting at their laptop even if they're on a meeting and laptop they're still going to see your email um, and so I think that, that people are, are, are adapting quickly but I do um, obviously a couple of weeks ago was um, mental health awareness week and I do actually from the organizations I've been working with I do think that the last couple of weeks it's almost got a wee bit harder for folk I don't know if you've had that experience as well Sam yeah no definitely i find it i'm i'm i suppose i'm an extrovert really so i uh, i do uh, i feed off the energy of others and it, i don't find it's quite the same having people on the other side of a, a screen than in the same room so yeah it's, it's a bit tricky sometimes yeah. um, i feel i feel very um sorry i mean if i was on my own if i was living on my own i think i'd find it particularly difficult luckily i've got quite a large family here um so uh you know we, we get on each other's nerves a little bit but more than that we're a good support network for each other yeah and I think I suppose it's to balance up with your team there will be some people who live on their own who are actually loving just working at home because they're very introverted and natural actually so we can't we can't tar everybody with the same brush is what yeah. I would say when it comes to how folk are working mm. are coping and dealing with this change in culture because everybody is dealing it with it in their own way and what I've also said in a lot of the, the speaking and things that I've been doing let's not kid ourselves on that the workplace was perfect before this and that it was working for everybody because it wasn't yeah. not everybody enjoyed there are so many workplaces that actually are quite toxic mm. and people are taken out of that and are getting a break from that so let's remember that there will be a lot of people that are coping quite well with this because working from home 
is much less stressful than working in an office. And for those organisations, I would say this is when this is the time when you need to look at what your workplace culture is, because it's so vitally important that people want to come back. In terms of culture changing, so if if an organisation um, is looking at how it can improve in the longer term. Bearing in mind, they've, they've got this kind of time now to, um, I suppose there are some benefits and some challenges to trying to start that process now in, in lockdown when people aren't in the office. But are there, do you have any tips for organisations about kind of the steps they should take to start initiating at least conversations about culture change? Yeah, and I think, um, I don't think they should see the lockdown as being a barrier. I think anything but, to be honest, because um, especially those at the top of the, at the top of the, of the organisation, you drive the culture um, and it starts with you intending to change the culture. That's when change starts. It changes with, uh, it starts with the intention to change it. And so when you look at the culture of a workplace, you're really looking that an organisation has a sense of cause, which obviously in the charity sector, we have a sense of cause because we're all driven by cause. That's why we work here. Mm. So we can assume that we'd already tick in the first box, that everybody has that sense of cause. They know why they come to their work. But they also need to have a sense of that they are pushing things forward, that they are making things happen. So if you're in an organisation and, and you aren't ticking the boxes that you are supposed to be ticking, that you have promised that you will do, then you really need to address that as well. And the third thing they need is a sense of trust. When you have all of these things, people want to be part of your organisation and therefore you want them to keep coming back and them to keep performing better because they know they've got a cause, they know they're working to back to wonderful achievements and they're surpassing those achievements and they're coming up with other achievements. And ultimately, they know that they have each other's back. They know that they are a team, that they are a culture, that they are not um, arguing with so often in the charity sector. People are arguing with their teams. The, the most toxic is between different fundraising teams or between the fundraising and the services team, clashing all the time. And leaders really have to, I would recommend that they have to try to break that down. And they're the only ones that can do it because it comes from the top down. And is, is there, a, with the, the point about trust, is there a, I suppose there's a bigger challenge now more than ever, is there, that, that obviously a lot of charities are having to furlough staff. I, I imagine a lot of charity uh, workers are probably worrying about the long term, whether are they going to get laid off eventually if they have been furloughed? I mean, it, it, are there things that leadership of charities can do to either reassure or to, to do the very best they can for those staff and their concerns on things like that? Yeah, and I think it's really for... for Creating a trusting team, I would say, first of all, what leaders need to do is be the leader they wish they had. Most leaders can reflect on the person that taught them the most as they came through their journey. Be that leader. Be that person because the ones, the ones under you need to learn how to be good leaders too. So we need to show them how to be good leaders. And what a leader needs to do is look at both sides of themselves. They need to look to the left, look to the right. Not looking right, just look at everybody and think, how can I help that? How can I empower people? How can I let them know that I've got their back? Mm. 
you know, I've got you, it's okay, I'm going to teach you how to do this job. And I would say as well, when we talk about leadership, leadership is something that is much bigger than rank. People are natural leaders. So you have people in your organisation, at all levels of your organisation, who have risen to the game here. They have risen to the plate. They have encountered lockdown and they have just gone for it. And I think it's a real opportunity to look at the people within your organisation who have a lot to give and you maybe never noticed that before. Because I'm sure anyone listening can reflect who within their organisation disappeared into their working from home and were barely heard from for weeks and who were the ones that were coming up with all the ideas about how they could keep moving the organisation forward. So there's a real time of opportunity here for everyone just now, I think, too. I know that it's interesting because this, this idea of uh, kind of having so many people in, in an organisation not, not necessarily going in this kind of hierarchical um, kind of direction when it comes mm -hmm. to ideas and innovations. I know that uh, Elon Musk is apparently um, someone that has said to his uh, staff at Tesla to contact him if they've got an idea, no matter who they are, no matter if they're cleaning the office or an engineer or whatever, if they've got an idea to move the uh, organization forward, they can just go straight to him, which I suppose yeah. pose some challenges, um, you know, going around your boss and stuff, but maybe that's, that's part of it. Yes, yeah, so this is actually some work I've been doing recently. I've been doing some work with housing associations, actually. And um, in a, a, an old team presentation, I said to them that, you know, if you have an idea, bring it, bring it, just bring it, because your idea might be what works. Because actually, within that setting, if we take that for an example, those at the top probably own their house. They probably don't use a housing association. They probably don't understand the challenges. They are also not speaking to the people that use the housing association every day. The people at the bottom of the organisation are. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you need to bring it forward. And what I suggest to organisation is to have it would usually be a board within an office obviously we don't have that just now but have a place where if someone has an idea they write that idea down on the board and if no one can come up with a good reason why you don't do it within 24 hours you do the idea you just keep moving things forward and at the end of the presentation because obviously it just felt like me talking to my laptop for 40 minutes but the chief executive of the housing association straight away jumped on that and said 100 percent i don't think i've got all the ideas i don't think the leadership team have all the ideas you guys need to bring me the ideas of how we can make this work better now how empowering is that for your team for your entire team and I actually do some other work around, I don't know if you've heard of it, Sam, intrapreneurialship. Have you heard of that? I'm not sure if I have, actually. So intrapreneurialship is where, the way that I've, I've worked on it with organisations before, as we set it up, I was almost Dragon's Den, not that I like that. You know, I'm, I'm not a capitalist pig dog, I don't like that. Um, but it's almost like um, we go into an organisation, people from lower down in the organisation are asked to present ideas. They're going to get a prize at the end of that. Within the charity sector, what we make the prize usually is a week's holiday, for example. And, um, and they have to develop an idea of how they think they can move the organisation forward. They put that on an application. 
the management team pick, say three or four people, I then work with them on presentation skills, on asking difficult questions so they can go away and find the answers to the difficult questions, on building their confidence around because I do training in um, public speaking and presenting. So I'm really building these people up so that they can then present. We then have a day where they present and the management team have committed to the fact that one person has to win somebody has to win and they get a week's holiday and the the organization has to take the idea forward and what a wonderful way to empower other people throughout your organization it, that alone an entrepreneurial program can last for six weeks it doesn't take long it changes the culture because all of a sudden people realize their voices are, are wanted to be heard people want to hear what they've got to say their opinion is valued and these are the important things because the senior management team, you, we've been, as senior managers within the sector, we've been here for a long time. We don't have all the ideas. We really don't. And I guess on one level, that, that type of culture challenges everybody to do their very best, doesn't it? And to, and to be adaptable and to be innovative because I guess if you've got people at, you know, across the organisation coming up with new ideas, then presumably the management structure needs to also be um, able to take those ideas and, and filter them and look at them and how they're going to work. And Yeah, yeah. and I think there's, there is, if we're honest about this, there is a real vulnerability for a management team to do this. They, they, do, they can very naturally feel vulnerable about doing this because they are, one, admitting that they don't know everything, which some people don't want to do. And, um, and two, they're accepting that actually there's someone that, that's on the phone all day on minimum wage. They've never, ever recognised the talent that they were bringing to the team. Um, and so they almost have to step into that, that vulnerable place and say, I'm willing to learn from below me as well as above me you know none of us none of us I, I always um see when, I, when i'm doing my my other speaking and things that i do i want to get to the end of my life on my deathbed and relax and have a new thought something that i never realized i knew because i always want to learn yeah. i want my whole life to be a journey of learning new things i'm okay with saying i got that wrong and too often people at the top of organizations are and I would say that's where the change has to start. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that this idea of um, success among entrepreneurs, you know, some of the most famous entrepreneurs, um, it comes down to uh, learning from mistakes quickly. That's right, mm -hmm. you know, failing, failing fast and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, how does that how does that work? Do you have any views on well, that? Yeah, well, I actually think, and this is something that I tell fundraisers quite often and coming through my career, I started as a fundraiser in 1997. Um, and actually, I, I worked out throughout my career that in order to, to win people over to support my cause, I needed to have equal parts, humility and passion. That's what I worked out I needed to have. And that's what I tell people they need to have. You need to know that people need to believe that they need you need them to help them they don't want somebody to say i know everything i'm doing so therefore i just need your money that's not going to work um you need to be incredibly passionate about your cause as well um and so i think for leaders it's about having a bit of humility probably as well mm. i think that's that's the key thing uh, be willing to learn you know be willing to recognize that 
I put all my eggs in that basket. It was the wrong basket. And just put your hands up to that and say, I put them in the wrong. Your team will have so much more respect for you. Without a doubt, your team will have more respect for you. Um, and so I think that if there's leaders listening to this, worrying about the um, their, their culture, their workplace culture, it's about going back and, and looking at what are your values? How do we become a value-driven organisation? You know, values. So I was speaking to an organisation last week and actually it was a, a big Zoom again. And somebody said they believed their organisation was a values-driven organisation. And in doing this culture work that I have been doing now for about just over three, nearly three and a half years, I have never said it, heard anyone say that. Mm. And that not that interesting that we have values, that we spend time and money on consultants and away days and we develop our values and they get a graphic designer makes them look beautiful and we get them printed on nice things and we put them everywhere. Do your people know your values and are they living them? And are you living them as an organisation? Talking about Zoom, you know, it's, it's one thing that I've, I've kind of enjoyed about the um, kind of working remotely uh, using Zoom for meetings and things because um, we haven't forked out for a licence for Zoom uh, where I work. So we have a 40-minute cut-off. Sometimes Zoom gives us a bit extra, but that 40-minute cutoff is, is quite a good discipline, I've found, for certainly some of the meetings. The other meetings, we're kind of calling each other and stuff, but have you, have you experienced that, and, or have you, are you seeing that across organisations that you're aware of? It's interesting because I'm on the board of a Scottish charity, and we had the 40-minute cutoff for our board meetings, and there's 15 people on the board, and... Um, we can probably be quite verbose quite a lot of the time and say a lot. And so it did shorten the meetings. And actually, I've got a board meeting next week and I got a message last night to say uh, one of the members has bought, the chairman has bought the things, so now we can have as long as we want. And part of me, because I'm busy with work, actually, my heart sank a wee bit because I thought, oh, I need to put more time in my diary for that because that could last for hours. Um, so, and I'm sure it won't, and you know that way I can excuse myself when I need to, but I think it's interesting about people accepting that you just need to get the job done. Mm. Um, because if, we, um, if we're really honest, so often in big organisations, you have meetings about meetings about meetings. And what a terrible waste of time, what a terrible waste of the charity's resource. Mm. Um, and I think it's about actually moving things forward. And so, and um, some teams I'm helping just now, it's really about, I talk about it in three levels of, I will inspire people to come up with new ideas. I'll empower them in, with the training and development to make sure they can carry them out. And then I will make them accountable. And it's those three things that are really important, that you're inspiring, you're empowering, and you're having accountability with your team. Um, because I think a lot of people get lost in the sort of a hiding, lying, faking, like I'm hiding, I'm not showing you anything, I'm telling you everything's fine, even though it's not, you know, even though it's not, and I'm faking it now, I'm just faking it, I'm just kidding on that everything's going great. And the concern and what people need to watch out for is that that could be easier working from home. Sure attending zoom meetings the zoom meeting finishing after 40 minutes before somebody's ever spoke actually when was the last time they contributed because the meeting always finishes at four after 40 minutes and so i think it's it's something that again leaders need to watch 
um, because one it could be that people just don't get because they're not as outgoing you know I'll always speak whenever I want to speak because that's the personality that I have I'll always make my voice heard but there's people who have really valuable things to say but then they can never get a word to, a word in because everybody else is filling all the time so it's really watching out that you're not leaving anybody behind just because the meeting finishes or you've forgotten to ask them opinion and therefore they maybe think their opinion doesn't matter. Mm. And I guess you can you can record Zoom calls and things, can't you? So you can always look back on those and see if there's anyone that hasn't. Or I suppose also it's probably good practice if you're managing a team to be checking in with them on a regular basis anyway, individually. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I would recommend that if you did one-to-ones on a... A monthly basis before you should probably be doing them on a fortnightly basis now and um and that those should be almost i don't, I don't i think nobody wants to get too um bogged down in paperwork and things but you should have a wee agenda mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a case of sitting talking about lockdown quite honestly it should be talking about where are you against goals and and really so what is your innovative thought because yeah targets are going to have to be re-looked at in a fundraising sense of course they are um but that doesn't mean we just sit back and think we can't raise money we need to try new things if you know i was reflecting on my career when i started in um, 1997 honest to goodness i must have organized about 10 ab sales a year yeah you know that's what the appetite was then overseas events started at the beginning of the uh, beginning of this millennium and they were everywhere you know and i was lucky enough to go and do the anchor trail i'll be back at the early 2000s and um and there is no appetite for those events anymore Mm. that doesn't mean we stopped fundraising You know, so it's about, you know, and I know everybody's a wee bit obsessed about what is a virtual product, what are our virtual products, and there's a concern that we flood the market with virtual products, but um, I think it's about getting really empowering your team and making them accountable for coming up with new ideas. We can't just sit back and say, okay, we're not going to reach our targets this year, so we're not going to do anything new. Mm -hmm. So we, we we can't let that be what happens to our sector that everybody just stops trying or we all try the same thing. I mean, how many organisations are doing quizzes? I don't even like a quiz. I'm not doing a quiz. I'm, I think I'm the only person in the UK that hasn't done a quiz during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I think it's, it's just thinking innovatively, but really in making sure people know there's space and there's room for them to think innovatively. And I guess it, it plays into this idea that, you know, every charity's got a USP, haven't they? Unique selling points. And, and maybe every charity should be focusing on who they are. As you say, their values, their audience. Everyone's got a, a slightly different audience. And what is, what's going to work for them that might not have worked for every other charity? Yeah, and finding, I think, what is your shared passion with your supporters? You, you have a shared passion and really pulling them in on that. And um, my advice to, to organisations just now is to really focus on their existing supporters uh, because those are, the, those are the people that are already um, on board. They're already on board. What else could they do for you? How else could they help you move forward? And again, that takes a bit of humility and passion. Maybe that means turning up to some of your supporters and saying, we don't know what to do next. Have you any ideas? Because they might have their most wonderful ideas, 
and you you're almost missing out of out on them because you don't want to be seen as not knowing what you're doing it's mm. okay to take time and say we're trying to come up with ideas can you help us um because i think people would feel really valued we want our supporters to feel valued if i say to a supporter have you got an idea and they have an idea and i end up raising twenty five thousand pounds from that idea oh my goodness how valued will they feel then how good will they feel about their contribution and so I just, I think we need to all think in a, in a more humble and a more innovative and a different way about how we fundraise in the future. And I guess those two huge online um, viral campaigns, the uh, No Makeup Selfie and the Ice Bucket Challenge, they were both supporter-led ideas weren't they that charities got behind and then raised millions and millions so exactly and and so there is always new ways you know everything that that exists was once an idea everything you know once somebody had an idea about zoom when someone had an idea about computers you know it's everything was once an idea it all had to be born somewhere Mm -hmm. and so that we're never going to run out of ideas everything has not been created of course it hasn't um and so it's really empowering which is why i talk about the entrepreneurial stuff training that i do because it's about empowering your entire organization those at the top of the the tree might feel a bit jaded and think they have come up with all the ideas that they've come up with because they've been leading organizations for 20 years 25 years and they actually are thinking i've come up with every idea i've possibly got um and that's okay because someone else in your organization can come up with the idea but you have the expertise to take it forward you know how to make the the idea a reality and you take them on that journey with you because they then become the the leaders within the sector of their future and that's really important that we remember that we want this sector to to thrive into the future and how are we how are we creating that culture within our organizations and so do you think do you think that charity leaders have that added responsibility to grow new talent from from those they're working with yeah i think i think all leaders do quite frankly i think all leaders do that it's not about there is no point in retiring and you've never told anybody what it is you know mm. um i know and certainly know that i reply i um, depend heavily on my own mentor and I mentor some some people as well and it's about how do you share that expertise because there's no point in keeping it to yourself and so if you are a leader and you're not mentoring anyone just now I would say redress that as quickly as you can um, because where is where is where is the purpose in, in me spending 23 years in this sector and not sharing the knowledge I've got and, and quite often that can be to have a younger fundraiser, for example, come up with an idea and quite instinctively and intuitively, I know that's probably not going to work, but it's not about saying, no, that's not working. It's about leading them down the steps for them to appreciate why it doesn't work. And it's only when they've went down all those steps and realised it doesn't work that they in the future can be better at determining what would be successful and what wouldn't. 
And um, so it has to be a very honest, I think, and open and trusting relationship that you have with your team. Um, and I really think just now everything has changed just now. So there's nothing off the table, isn't there not, Sam? Mm. nothing is off the table just now and it's the window how we don't know how how long this window will last until we're all back in offices and what have you um so we have to i would recommend that that wise leaders are actually going to use this time to think about what culture do i want to create from now onwards because that's going to be so important to the success of my organisation as we come out of this, as we get through the predicted economic downturn. Um, you know, it's going to be so important. So leaders, I think, really have to be having those conversations. I mean, it's it's such an interesting time. As I mean, it's, it's a devastating time, obviously, and, and people are losing their lives, and uh, there's a lot of fear and anxiety about what's happening at the moment, but also the future. And yet, there there seem to be some rays of hope. In you know, I was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about rewilding and how uh, rewilding the the country is, is uh, perhaps more um, likely now because. For the first time, we've seen how um, our own government can get the population to do something extreme. I mean, in this case, it's been stay home and stay safe. Um, although different parts of the country, it's, it's changing, of course. People can see that a big change can happen. And obviously, this is as a result of the coronavirus, terrible thing that's happening. Um, but maybe um, the charity sector will, will see some long-term benefit out of this maybe will there be more compassion you know from from the population because everyone's been through something exactly and i think that's about um exactly the word i would have used i think there will i hope for humanity for our country and that people are more compassionate after this and i think we've already seen that compassion how many conversations i know that i had about what's happening with the homeless population just now Mm. um and people who were really concerned about that, like where are homeless people going to go actually? And there's obviously so much concern around our elderly population, um, which is a complete travesty, what is happening within within care homes. Um, and I think if anything, I would hope that people will become more compassionate. And that's why we go back to look at who who are or who is or our supporter you know who is, who is our people that support us and, and starting to redraw that picture a wee bit perhaps um but also going back to your established supporters and making sure that you're not leaving them behind by trying to find lots of new supporters because they are the ones that are already bought into your cause you know they are the ones that already know and believe in you what else could they they do for you? Because they will already feel more compassionate. For example, if you are talking about homeless population, if you are a homeless charity and there are people saying, oh, well, it's their fault and who cares? They were never your target audience anyway. So let's not waste any time on them. Let's go back to the person that has given you £10 every single month for the last three years. What could we do with you? What could we do to help to get you to help us get somebody else to give us £10 a month or to maybe do a virtual event for us or to maybe just pick your brain because actually it turns out that you're the head of marketing at a big bank or something you know do we look into who our supporters are enough to understand them and do we ask them often enough to help us so I think increased compassion is what I hope for the sector definitely. (laughs) 
I wonder whether we'll have a much more open um, kind of ability to recruit people from much more diverse backgrounds. So would, would we potentially see uh, a world where we'll have more remote working, so therefore people can apply for a job even if they're hundreds of miles away or you know, other countries? Yeah, I think, who knows, who knows? I was speaking to somebody who is an interim and works for one of the agencies doing interim, um, and, and that's what one of her posts was coming to an end, but she was quite confident that something else would come up um, because I think there's opportunity there for people to really, um, people are worried about jobs. So you've got an opportunity to get somebody that's probably overqualified for the job that you want them to get just now, even if it is on a consultancy basis or an interim basis just now. And if you think outside the box and get someone who has different set of skills that they can bring to you, even in the short term, I think there's real advantages there. Uh, I think probably where I have concern is people that are starting out in their fundraising careers. And the charity careers, that is that is where my concern is just now, if I'm honest. Yeah. Because if you only have a couple of years experience, then that that's a harder one to match up, isn't it? Which is why I do think organisations have to look at what they've got and we don't end up losing some amazing um, potential fundraisers to jobs and Tesco because that could happen that that could happen and we need to be really careful of that because that you gave them the job for a reason have you utilized their skills properly so let's give them an opportunity to speak up just now let's give them an opportunity to show us their potential to show us what their ideas are um, because they could have the best idea in the world and it could be lost if we don't if we don't try and get it out of them so there are a lot of things we don't know at the moment, aren't there? But I guess knowing your team, knowing your colleagues, this is a good opportunity to develop that knowledge and, uh, and then see what tools you have uh, as an organisation to, to embrace whatever challenges we have coming up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I do a lot of work as well in building strengths-based teams using the Gallup Strengths model. And, and what that does is really let people understand their strengths. But as a manager, it really lets you understand um, your team so much better and know what's going to work for them in terms of how you manage them, in terms of how you motivate them. And so there's lots of opportunities, I would say, just now, if there is going to be a quieter time, there are lots of opportunities to develop your your team so that you are building a team that has that sense of cause that sense of advancing you know that sense of trust that they want to stay in your organization and even if another organization comes and tries to offer them a job they don't want to leave because they trust you they trust your organization they believe in your organization and actually they want to be a part of your team and if you think that you have a team that don't build what behave like that then you need to start looking at the culture of your team of course you do because you will lose your best people i do this work across um across zoom now so if anybody does want to have a chat about some of these themes then please do get in touch with me and i would love to um chat to you about how you could start to look um at the culture within your organization i, I see that my um obviously i'm very glasgow um so it's my, my cheeky glasgow wit um that people actually within organizations tell me everything 
I, I can sit down and, and quite often it's funny because people at the top of an organisation maybe think this is the problem, can you come in and help us fix this? Of course, by the time I've spoken to everybody, the problem is something that is completely different, that is very easy to fix and it would literally take us a week to fix this problem now that we know what it is. But managers have managed to get themselves into a place where they, they're not in relationships with their staff where they can understand what the problem is. Um, and so certainly our help teams do that. But also during that path, they don't want to pay for me to keep finding out what their problems are. They need to redress the relationships and their culture so that they know what the problems are as soon as they happen. And Hughes, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. No, thank you for having me. big thank you to Anne Hughes for speaking to me about making culture change. A key takeaway is that perhaps now is a time to look into um, your organisation and identify how each person is working and what they need in terms of support and direction to be innovative, mentally well and happy in their role. Anne made the point that leaders need ideas and she suggested a culture that encourages everyone to come up with ideas and make suggestions for leadership to carry forward. Perhaps this could have the added benefit of also developing staff through collaboration between those with the ideas and leaders who have experience of how to get ideas delivered. Anne spoke about leaders needing to show a mixture of passion and humility and putting their hands up when things go wrong and recognising this to develop things for the future. This is vital not just for the organisation but also on a wider level with leaders helping to grow new talent, sharing expertise and developing people to contribute to the future of the charity sector. And suggested another possible way that charities can develop new ideas is to also show humility with their core audience and ask them for any ideas and help to get the organisation moving forward. We spoke about some well-known supporter-led examples that have made a huge impact for charities fundraising in the past. And uh, just to say finally a big thank you to Anne for her insights and sharing her knowledge with us. And if you're looking for some extra do's and don'ts for how to affect culture change in an organisation, we also recommend that you listen to episode 75 of the podcast with James Atkins. So thank you, dear listener, for joining us for this podcast. Please do continue to keep in touch with us through our website, charitychat.org.uk, or through our social media channels. It's just left for me to thank our sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design at charitychat.org.uk, RR Yard Photography for the lovely pro bono images on our website, and Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from me. Please do stay safe and well and continue to do what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Hey!